Well, good morning. Welcome again. And uh, especially if you are new or a guest today, we're, we're glad you're here. And uh, man, we're, we're in for a treat as we continue to focus on the birth of Christ and uh, the fact that he is the light of the world. Well, hey, this morning, would you imagine with me, would you imagine with me that you are a teenage girl and that you grew up here in Cleveland and attended CBC? And you got the opportunity to go on a short-term missions trip with another ministry to Central America. And you're prayerfully and anxiously prepared for this trip. And the next thing you know, you're in El Salvador. And as you begin to serve, what captures your attention and what also captures your heart are the kids. You look around and you see abused, abandoned, neglected, and orphaned children. You see fractured and extremely dysfunctional families. You see a high ratio of physical and learning disabilities. You see a long-standing generational pull toward alcoholism, crime, teen pregnancy, and gang activity. In fact, the children are living in a home uh, that's next to two extremely powerful gangs, MS-13 and Barrio 18. You see a spiritual poverty and a spiritual darkness. Although there are actually numerous churches in El Salvador, they are legalistic, heavy-handed, and dedicated to tradition rather than the true gospel of God's grace. So people avoid what could be the life-giving, light-shining, heart-changing, and life-transforming message that Jesus could make a difference. After being confronted by this experience and sifting it in prayer, God stirs in you a risky and radical response. Go to El Salvador and start a children's home that will attempt to care for these children by providing food, shelter, safety, education, counseling, support, and the good news of love and forgiveness offered through a relationship with Jesus Christ. All in the hopes that these children can be transformed, reunited with their families, and help influence them to change. This is the story of Rachel Sanson and the Love and Hope Children's Home that was established 11 years ago in 2003. Love and Hope Uh, serves between 20 to 30 children at a time, and CVC has supported Love and Hope for years. And many of you have prayed, many of you have given uh, time or given money, some of you have even traveled there uh, to support God's work in El Salvador. We've even had two CVC families who have uh, been moved by God to adopt two of those children from the Love and Hope Children's Home. Uh, The Boyle family recently adopted Kevin, from the Love and Hope Children's Home and brought him home here now. And also, someone you'll see here in a minute, Kelly Moore uh, just recently adopted Tonio. You know, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus this time of year, we are reminded that he is the light of the world, a light that pierces and pushes back darkness. You know, there is still darkness in El Salvador. There are still gangs, there are still, there's still crime, there's still teen pregnancies and all the incredibly significant issues, but the light of Christ shines there. In fact, uh, we asked Rachel if she could send over something uh, from Love and Hope for us to, to just know that Christ is uh, doing great work there, and she shared with us a little video of the Love and Hope kids singing one of their favorite Christmas songs from El Salvador. So let's just take a look at that for a second from these kids. This is from them to us.
I don't know what oink oink means or whatever. I'm not quite sure what that translates to, but. Hey, <laughs> you, know you know what stood out to me when I watched that was their smiling faces. Like thinking about where they came from and thinking about what's around them and, and seeing those smiling faces and looking at you guys and you're smiling too. And you, you just see love and you see laughter and you see joy. And you know what? There's still darkness in El Salvador. There's still tough issues. Those kids have tough days. But you know what? The light of Christ is making a difference in them. And that's what we're celebrating, the light of Christ. Well, uh, here's the thing. Uh, Rachel is not the light. <laughs> Love and Hope Children's Home is not the light. CVC is not the light. Jesus Christ is the light. And uh, it's true that uh, his light pushes back the darkness. Now, before we ever had an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus in this world, God sent a man to model how it was done. His name was John let's learn from his example by turning in our teaching passage today to John chapter 1. Now, as we're in this Light of the World series, we're teaching through John chapter 1. And we're going to find ourselves today in verses 6 through 13. And as we uh, shift our focus, as we've been talking about this Light of the World series, that we're going to look at just a few different regions and places in the world where we see the light of Christ shining and think beyond our own Christmas traditions and our own Christmas experience to those of the world. Last week, we talked about Ukraine. And hopefully some of you have been praying for Ukraine this last week. I know I did, and I've heard Carol of the Bells multiple times and was praying for Ukraine multiple times. Maybe some of you did too. But today's emphasis is Latin America. And we're going to be focusing on the light of Christ in Latin America. And so as you prepare to look at John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13 uh, with us this morning, I've actually asked Kelly, who has recently adopted Tonio from Love and Hope, to come and read this passage to us in Spanish, because I think there's something so rich and beautiful to hear the Word of God in other languages other than just our own. Hi, Kelly. How you doing? Good. Would you go ahead and read John 1, 6 through 13 for us in Spanish this morning? Vino un hombre llamado Juan. Dios lo envió como testigo para dar testimonio de la luz, a fin de que por medio de él todos creyeran. Juan no era la luz, sino que vino para dar testimonio de la luz. Esa luz verdadera, la que alumbra a todo ser humano, venía a este mundo. El que era la luz ya estaba en el mundo. En el mundo fue creado por medio de él, pero el mundo no lo reconoció. Vino a lo que era suyo, pero los suyos no lo recibieron. Mas a cuantos lo recibieron, a los que creen en su nombre, les dio el derecho de ser hijos de Dios. Estos no nacen de la sangre, ni por deseos naturales, ni por la voluntad humana, sino que nacen de Dios. Thank you so much. Amen. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, Heavenly Father, your word is beautiful. And whether we hear your word in English or another language, Lord, that you are master over, God, your word is true and your word is beautiful. And God, as we think about you, and we think about the light and the life that you give, Lord, would you just open our hearts and our minds, Lord? Let us interact with this passage, Lord. Let us, as we think about the birth of the one who came to live and die and raise again, Lord, may you just do a work in us. May your light shine in us and through us even today. So Holy Spirit, instruct us as we're spending time in your word. We ask in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen. You know, I'm not going to reread that passage in English, but I'm going to interact with it and uh, refer to some different places. But basically, when you look at that passage, when it comes to Jesus, the light of the world, we can choose to do one of three things. The first one is this. We can choose to reject him. We can choose to reject him. Look at verse 11. 
It says he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You know, when Jesus made his grand entrance to a world that he made, to a people that he made, no one recognized him. And he reached out to the first nation that he selected to uniquely represent himself, Israel. And even though he fulfilled prophecy, even though it should have been obvious, even though John uh, witnessed about his coming, they did not receive him. They rejected him. Maybe it was because he subtly slipped into the scene of mankind in, in humble means, in humble ways, and he was first placed in a feed trough for animals and was surrounded by dirty outcasts called shepherds. Maybe, maybe it was that instead of him being born in a palace surrounded by royalty and laid in a crib of ornate jewelry and fine metals. Maybe that was why they rejected him. Maybe it was because one day he would wear a crown of thorns instead of a crown of gold and jewels to reign over the people. And he wasn't going to come in and overtake Rome and set up a new... Maybe that's why they rejected him. Maybe it was because when he taught, the truth of his words spoke so deeply and profoundly and penetrated their hearts and confronted sins that they couldn't handle it. He didn't make their sin okay. He didn't say it's okay, it's acceptable. He confronted them and lovingly uh, challenged them to change, to be more like the one who made them. For whatever reason, they, and there's a long list and we can keep going, they, they did not receive him, they rejected him. They did not embrace him at all. You know, the same is true today, right? When we speak the truth of Christ, especially even if it's in a loving way, many are gonna reject it. You know, in the book of Job, Chapter 24, verse 13, were said that there are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways and do not stay on its path. I think the sad reality that we know is that there are those people who are just going to reject Christ. The, the, the cost is too high. The truth is too simple, maybe. What, just one way to heaven? Just Jesus exclusively? I think, I think that's the biggest beef most people have nowadays is the exclusive nature of Christ, that it's in Christ and Christ alone that you have a relationship with God. It's in Christ and his birth, life, death, and resurrection alone that has forgiveness of sins. And that exclusive nature of Christianity, some people have a hard time with that. Sometimes it's because that price is too high. You have to live a life of surrender. Because when we chose to be followers of Christ, we consciously started to understand that my life is about serving Christ not Christ serving me. And some people are going, I don't, I don't want that. For some people, it's accountability. Well, if, if I believe the Bible, if I believe in God, if I believe this whole thing about Jesus, then that means I'm actually held accountable to a God who made me. I don't want to be held accountable. I don't want someone that I have to answer to. I want to live my way. I want to do what I want to do. I want to make the choices I want to make without any repercussions or you know, sense of conviction. Whatever the reason, we know that the truth is there are just going to be those people, sadly, that reject Christ. It was, then, it was true then. It's true now. And until Christ comes, it's going to be true. There are just going to be those people, sadly, that just reject Christ. That's one of the options we see when the light comes. You know, our challenge there is to pray for those. I hope you're praying for the people you know and love because every single one of us know people, don't we? We all know people and love people, work with people, live next to people who at this point in their time have rejected Christ. They have not received him. Man, I hope we're faithful to pray for them, that God would open their eyes, soften their hearts, that his light would invade their darkness. You know, maybe you're here today and that's you. Maybe for whatever reason, at this point in your life, you've just kept you know, God at arm's length away, you kept Jesus at arm's length away. You know, maybe it's because a Christian was a bad example. 
Maybe because you saw someone who was a Christ follower and you went, well, they're no different. I don't, I don't need to be. Whatever the reason. And maybe you kept God's arm length away. Our, our, our hope for you is that as, as Christ is knocking on your door, as he's stirring in your heart, you'll, you'll let down your guard. You'll let down your guard. And you'll listen to his voice. And you'll let his light come flooding into your darkness. And yeah, you'll have to give up some of that darkness. But you know what? What he will give you in replace of your darkness will far surpass anything you've ever experienced in your life. The joy, the peace, the hope. And so maybe today will be the day that you take that next step toward Christ. So the first thing we see people do in response to light, as we saw here in this passage of John, is they reject Christ. The second is, the more joyful one, <laughs> is that they receive him. They receive him. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, say it with me, children of God. Isn't that just a beautiful, isn't that just beautiful few words? You know, the word receive in the original language that the Bible was written in here, Greek, is lambano. Lambano. It means to take. It means to admit. It means to receive something that's offered. It means not to refuse, but to accept. See, not everybody runs from the light of Christ, right? There are those who are not repelled by his brilliant light, and uh, there were, are, and will be those who receive, that receive Christ, receive his light, receive him in relationship. Well, how do we receive? Well, just like that word intends, we gratefully and undeservedly accept what God has offered. <laughs> we uh, offer and receive that, uh, we receive the offer of the birth, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. We accept the forgiveness of sins. We accept the relationship. We accept the purpose that we have in this life. We accept a new life. We admit that we're lost. We admit that we're sinful. We admit that we can't uh, get to God on our own. And we just embrace what God has given us, and we believe. It says those who believe in his name. It's not literally just the name of Jesus, but all that his name represents, all his words, all his works. So when you believe in the name of Jesus, you're believing that he was born of a virgin. You're you're believing that he lived a perfect life. You're believing that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind. You're believing that he rose from the grave victoriously three days later. You believe that Jesus is coming back. When you believe in his name, it encompasses all those beliefs in it. And those who believe those things, those who receive those things, become children of God. They're born spiritually. And God makes us new. It's a new birth. Notice this is a God thing and not a man thing. Look at verse 13. It says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, this is not like children who are born of the will of a mom and dad who desire to have a little baby, but from the will of God, by the Spirit of God who says, I want those who are mine. I want to give a new birth. I want to give a new life. I want to provide a born-again opportunity. And only God can make someone a child of God. Only God can give access to his kingdom. That's why it says here, it says he gives those the right it means he, what that means is he gives the authority, he gives the permission to be children of God. We can't earn our way into relationship with God. We, we can't inherit it, right? For those of us who were raised in a home of people who knew and loved the Lord, we didn't inherit our salvation. We still had to come to our own decision to believe. If, if, you're, a, if you're a teenager or a child in this room, you don't inherit your relationship with God. You've got to figure it out yourself. You've got, to, you've got to take responsibility for your own faith. 
Now, mom and dad have made it easier for you. Grandma and grandpa maybe have made it easier for you. For you. Maybe the aunt or uncle made it easier for you because they've taught you and they've surrounded you with the truth of Christ, but you're still responsible to take it and to accept it and receive it yourself. We don't, we don't inherit this. We don't earn it, and we definitely don't deserve it. <laughs> we believe and we receive. And it's not in a faith. It's not in a system. It's not in good works. It's only by a person, and that person is Jesus. And we have to believe authentically, not superficially. You can't just give a superficial nod in the direction of Jesus and think that's faith in Christ. It has to be authentic. We're going to wrestle, and we're going to sin, and we're going to mess up, but we enter into authentic relationship. Being a child of God is a thing of great love. I'm so glad that my identity, who I am, is not based on what I do. It's based on, on, on who loves me. It's our identity to be a child of God. If you are in Christ, your identity is a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of the king. That's our identity. And with that identity comes great responsibility to represent the family well. See, the problem for a lot of us is that uh, we, we want the privileges of being a child, but we don't want the responsibility. So what we basically say is, God, take care of me. Watch over me, feed me. Oh, but by the way, I don't want to obey you. And I don't want to share my faith with others. And I don't want to submit this part of my life to you. I'm going to keep this off and reserve it to myself. And, and we want the, the privileges of being a child of God, but we don't want the responsibility. But no, we inherit the responsibility. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, For at one time you were darkness. Doesn't that just sound nasty and gross? One time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, what a, what a victorious statement. You were darkness, but now you're light. Because the light of Christ has shined into you. He's flooded your soul with understanding. He's flooded your life with newness. Now walk in it. Now, every now and then, we might take like a little detour and step into the darkness. That's just our human nature in this fallen world. But you know what? Our norm needs to be walking in the light with maybe a rare time that we fall into that and get back on the right path. But man, we can, we can reject Christ or we can receive Christ. And as we walk as children in the light, not perfect, just forgiven, then we start to do something else. We start to reflect. The third thing we can do in this relationship with Christ is reflect him. Look at verse 7. Now, speaking about John the Baptist, and by the way, when I, when I was a new believer, I was confused because when I was reading in the book of John, I thought he was talking about himself here. Is John talking about John? No, this is John the Apostle that God is using to write this book, but he's talking about John the Baptist, right? Speaking about John the Baptist in verse 7, it says, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. You know, about 700 years before John the Baptist was born, God told us through the prophet Isaiah that there would be a man who would come, one who would speak in the wilderness, that make way for the Lord, he's coming. 700 years before John the Baptist was born, God was predicting and preparing people. And then the last Old Testament prophet, the last person God used to speak revelation to his people was Malachi, right? When you, when you get to the end of the Old Testament in your Bible, there's Malachi. Some say Malachi, you know, that's not right. It's Malachi. And, and he was the last Old Testament prophet. You know how long God stayed silent after Malachi? 400 years. 
four centuries. 400 years, God did not give any revelation. The next time he chose to speak through a man, guess who it was? John the Baptist. God used John the Baptist to break 400 years of silence. And what was John the Baptist saying? The light's coming. The light's coming. Make way. Prepare the way of the Lord. And God spoke. You know, John was born about six months before Jesus. Like when you, when you read through the Christmas narrative and you find yourself in the book of Luke, you see you know, this, account of Bill, this, this uh, connection between John the Baptist and Jesus early on. If you remember, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was cousins with Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist. And so Jesus and John the Baptist were actually cousins. He was born about six months before Jesus, and he came, and as he grew, he became a messenger. He didn't become a Messiah. He became a messenger of the Messiah. His job description, John the Baptist's job description, point to the light. That's it. Here's your job description, John. Point to the light. The same is true for us today. Because John was one of God's models for us to boldly and unashamedly share the good news of Jesus. You know, one of the reasons uh, that we're taking next year, we're taking all of 2015, to emphasize and focus and intensify the sharing of the good news in Northeast Ohio, in our Jerusalem, if you will. And John modeled that for us. And here's what's amazing. John wasn't the light. Some people wondered, and this guy's different. Maybe he's the Messiah. No, John wasn't the light. He was a reflection. He was a reflector. <laughs> he reflected the light. We're to be the same. In Matthew 5.16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And when you read that, you have to ask yourself a couple questions. Does my light shine? Does Christ, does, does Christ in me shine through me? Do, do my words and do my works show Christ? If people observe my life and listen to my life, do they see and hear Christ? You know, Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, there we are again, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I don't know about you, but every now and then, you just get one of those full moons. You, you know, we've seen a lot of them in the last couple of months. Just big, giant, brilliant full moon. That thing is so bright. You know what's amazing about the moon? It has no light of itself, does it? None has no ability to give light. All it does is reflect the sun. That, that's a picture of John the Baptist. That's a picture of everyone who's living for Christ. That's a picture of us. We're to reflect Christ. And people are to look at our lives and go, wow, what is that? What's so different about you? What's unique? It's like, well, I'm obviously not the source of light, but I'm reflecting it. We're all like moons for Jesus, you know? <laughs> reflecting his light. And that's what we're called to be. Our lives are reflect Jesus. We want Jesus to get all the glory. He's the light. We're just the reflectors. <laughs> so how are you reflecting Christ right now in your life? How are you re reflecting Christ in your family? How are you reflecting Christ in your relationships and in your neighborhood as a life house? How, how are you reflecting Christ in this world? Because when you look at this passage, it's really clear. The light has come. And you can reject it. You can receive it, become a child of God. And when you do so, you start to reflect the light. This, this is what we see here as clear as day. And as we think about Jesus being the light of the world, we think about all the areas of the world. And we see darkness in the world. Let's not kid ourselves. But imagine how dark the world would be without Christ. Imagine if Christ never came. 
How dark would this world really be? And so we see the light of Christ shining. And as we reflect the light of the world, and it shines in the darkness, and as we talked about last week, and if you missed last week, I encourage you to go online and watch, um, the darkness cannot overcome the light. You know, we were talking earlier about how the light of Christ has made a difference in El Salvador so far, but there are other places with great darkness. One of those places is Mexico. You know, we're thinking about Latin America today, Mexico. You know, when you think of Mexico, maybe you think of Tijuana. Maybe think of Cancun or parts of Mexico that have been Christianized or have Catholic expressions. You know, as, as someone who's come from California, I, I had lots of familiarity with some of the traditional elements for those Mexicans who loved Jesus. You know, when you see uh, those from Mexico celebrating Christmas that know Christ, it's very similar to ours in some respects. They've got trees and decorations and parties and gifts and lots of church services. They do have some unique traditions. Uh, you know, they, they definitely have piñatas. <laughs> They remain in the, in the shape of the star, and they have parades that they parade, and they, they uh, memorialize the, the coming of the wise men to see Christ. And a lot of times they'll end up in a place and, and smash a pinata, the star. Uh, the poinsettia comes from Mexico. Every time you put a poinsettia out, guess where that came from? That originated out of Mexico. In fact, if you want to get real technical, the, the way to say it is poinsettia. <laughs> so next time you're putting out a poinsettia, guess what? Pray for Mexico. Carol of the Bells, maybe will help you make you pray for Ukraine. Next time you put your hands on a red plant for Christmas, white plant, those are indigenous of Mexico. Pray for Mexico. Pray that God's light will shine great in Mexico. Of course, just like in El Salvador, just like any other places in Latin America, the favorite food a lot of times at Christmas in Mexico, tamales. Man, I don't know. I, I, you show up to someone's house in Latin America, they're going to give you tamales for Christmas. It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a gorgeous gift. Those are some of those traditions. But... There are still many indigenous native people groups in Mexico that do not fit that description. People that don't celebrate Christmas, don't know about Christ. One of those people groups is the Taramuhara, the Tarahumara people. They don't have Christmas. In fact, they don't even have a word for Christmas in their language. They're an unreached people group. You know, a couple weeks ago we had an interview. We've talked a little bit about this family, but we have a family in our church, Eric and Sheena Kramer, who felt called to join Mexico Medical Missions to minister to the Tamahumara people. In fact, let's hear Eric just talk for a minute a little bit about them to give us a little bit more insights. Uh, my name is Eric Kramer. Uh, my wife, Sheena, and I and our two kids uh, serve as CVC missionaries in northern Mexico in a remote part of the Sierra Madre, which is a really uh, mountainous mountain range. Um, I work in a small little hospital uh, that serves the Tarahumara Indian tribe. The Tarahumaras are very isolated. Uh, they've been resistant to any kind of Western influence for hundreds of years. They're really impoverished. There's a lot of abuse and malnutrition and whatnot there. Uh, but they also have been resistant to the gospel. Um, they do have some Catholic influences. They celebrate uh, what's called uh, Dia de Guadalupe, which is a day of celebration of Mary, Jesus' mother. But they don't actually celebrate Christmas there. Uh, they, it's interesting, despite their kind of Christian Catholic influences over the last few hundred years, they really have no idea who Jesus is or what Jesus did. They celebrate events around Jesus' life, but they don't know Jesus, they don't understand who he is, and that's one of the things we're trying to do there so they can understand the importance of the season of Christmas and the importance of what Mary did as far as being the person that brought Jesus into the world, Jesus being the person who died for our sins on the cross. 
You know, the Tatamahara are one of the many people groups in the world that are unreached for Christ. Because of that, they really experience a lot of darkness in their culture. Uh, there's a huge drug presence in the Sierra Madre. Many of the world's drugs are produced there. There's drugs, there's violence, there's drug cartels are rampant. Many of the Tatamahara are forced to grow drugs in their field or else the cartel will hurt them. They also have generations of oppression upon that people. They're oppressed by the Spaniards, they're oppressed by the Mexicans, they're oppressed by the cartels. The Tatamahara have great levels of mistrust and they, they barely make eye contact. They're very standoffish. They don't even trust each other sometimes. So there's great spiritual darkness. There's great spiritual darkness. There's superstition. There's worship of idols and there's worship of spirits. One of the unique things about their culture is that uh, they believe that drunkenness is an enlightened state. And in that state, you allow the spirits to come and take over you. So one of the unique things of their culture is that anything you do while intoxicated, you can't be held accountable for. So you can murder someone while drunk and the people say, well, that wasn't your fault, it was the spirits in you. And so imagine living in a culture where basically anything you can do while drunk is okay. You're not going to have any consequences for that. And so you can imagine the effects of that culture. It's just heartbreaking. And because of that, uh, you have a lot of um, abuse on kids. 80 to 90% of the girls of the Tatamahara will be raped before they're 15. Many of it because of the drunkenness that takes place in that culture. The Tatamahara also have an extremely high infant mortality rate. Approximately 50% of their babies don't make it. And of the babies that don't make it, 80, 90% of them die within the first six months to a year. Because of that, the moms usually don't name their children for at least six months. And if you have twins, well, you know they're both not going to make it, so you just pick one. You just pick one to kind of nurture the best you can and just hope that one of them makes it. This is what it means to live as a Tatamuhara. And you ready for this? My heart fully paused when I heard these words from Eric. The people of the Tatamahara have no concept, therefore no words for agape or unconditional love. They don't even have words to explain brotherly love. There's no concept of that in their culture. There's no, there's no language for that. The only word for love that comes close is in a word that means erotic love. So to say God loves you is repulsive. It's like, what are you talking about? They don't have a folder to put that file in. So imagine trying to minister amongst these kind of people in the darkness that exists there. They have no words for mercy or grace or an understanding of those concepts in their language. This is what it means to be Tadamahara. This is the darkness, a little piece of the darkness of Tadamahara. But you know what? The light of Christ is shining there. The light of Christ is shining to people like the, the Kramers and others who have gone. Let me just give you a couple things. I asked Eric to give me a couple examples, and here's what he shared uh, with me recently. He shared this. He said that... Um, the hospital being there that they work at is, is light. There, there's doctors there to help care for those who are pregnant, especially teen mothers. Uh, they're caring for malnourished infants. They're treating machete wounds and gunshot wounds that are taking place because of the cartel. There's Christian physicians hoping their patients learn about the great physician. You know, recently on their team, there was an addition of a Mexican doctor named Beto. Beto is now ministering to the Tatamahara while his wife gives them food and cares for them. And, you know, we just added Beto to our mission support fund here as a church and caring for those people, the Tatamahara. He says that um, seeing Tatamahara come to Christ is really quite an endeavor. There's really, it's, it's very um, rare that you see that. But he says recently there was a patient that came in, his name was Benito, who came in because he was in the final stage of alcoholic cirrhosis and tuberculosis. He was 80 pounds when he came into the hospital. He'd been treated by a local witch doctor for a year. 
Because Eric did not know how much longer Benito had, he didn't think the surgery was going to you know, necessarily save his life, he felt compelled to share his own testimony and the gospel with him, the good news of the forgiveness of eternal life in Jesus. So a little bit later, someone was able to come and speak his dialect to Benito to follow up and clarify what Eric shared. Benito voluntarily asked if he could receive Jesus as his Savior. He survived the procedure. And later on that night, nurses confirmed with him that his faith in Christ was legitimate. You know, he passed away a few months later, and now he's worshiping Jesus in person. You know, the Tatamohada are coming to Christ, and they're learning that they can break generations of fear, generations of alcoholism, generations of oppression. They're learning the light of Christ can do all that. You know, Eric said this. He says, we know that Jesus is the rescuer. We know that he is a light that can pierce the darkness. We know that he can restore and give new life. It is a privilege to be sent to shine for them and to see and share the gospel for all to hear. This is why we go. Man. You know, when we're hanging our lights and we're carving up our ham and we're singing our songs and we're in the stores buying probably more than we need to buy, there's people out there that don't even have a word for Christmas. And I don't say that so that we stop. I just say that we have a deeper, broader understanding when we celebrate Christmas and our hope in celebrating Christmas. Christmas isn't just a celebration of something that's happened. It's a celebration of something we see happening. The light of Christ still shines. The birth of Christ still makes a difference. Here's the take home for you today. Reflect the light of the world in the world. How are you reflecting the light of Christ in the world? I want to give you guys a few tangible applications as you leave here. One, don't forget, we always produce a study guide that correlates with this message. For your life group, and for your family, for your independent study, go to the message spot online. You can download the study guide. There's links to these ministries. There's more information. There's just questions to interact and more Bible verses to look at to get you thinking about that. Here's the thing. Last week, we gave you guys uh, this ornament. Maybe you were here. Maybe you weren't. So if you weren't here, uh, you get to walk out with an ornament today. And it's a little light bulb. And remember what we asked. We said, take this ornament and the card that goes with it, and you'll find the card next to it. And there's all the countries that we're talking about in these few weeks. And, and when, you, when you hang that ornament, would you pray for those countries? So for those of you who hung this ornament last week for Ukraine, why don't you go back to that ornament this week? You can rehang it if you want. <laughs> or you just look at it and just, just, just pray for El Salvador and what God's doing through love and hope. Pray for Mexico and what we're hoping God's going to do to the Tatamahata people there in Mexico. And, and every year you pull that out, pray for those nations so you have that. The other thing we have is our Advent tree. The Advent tree is an opportunity for generosity, uh, for love and hope there are tuitions to support those kids. I just want to give you guys an update. This is what you guys have done since the Advent Tree's been up in the last few weeks. Uh, $1,240 has been given to Ukraine. Ghana Medical Clinic, which we'll talk about more next week, over $10,000, $725 has been raised. Love and Hope tuition so far, $4,670 to go to those kids. Love and Hope uh, Kids Christmas, just specific Christmas gifts for those kids, $960. You guys have done all that in the last few weeks. Now, that's extremely generous. It's extremely generous, and we're making a difference. That's light shining in the darkness. Another way that you can make a difference if you want to help with Love and Hope and those kids is uh, they just released a brand-new Christmas CD. It's out there at the table. They're $5. 
Every single one of those pennies goes to those kids. Okay? And then there's a, there's a CD from last year. And so if you want to 5 or $10, you can buy those. Every single dollar that, that goes to those CDs goes toward those kids that you just saw singing those songs. And so that could be one thing that you can do as an application. So you can stop by the table. Also, there's a trip in the summer to go to Love and Hope. And so that's something that God would stir up in you. You can also ask for more information as well. Also, uh, there's a table out there with Mexico. Just a little bit more information. Uh, the, the, the Kramers do have needs. Currently, this is the biggest prayer need. The hospital they work at has been shut down temporarily because of the danger of warring cartels. It's just too dangerous. People can get kidnapped on the road. Um, all that's kind of going on. So there's needs there. And so just be praying for them. Uh, they, they need help in administration and bookkeeping. They need serious prayer warriors. People who aren't just going to say a three-second prayer for Mexico, but really pray for them. Uh, these are some of the needs they have. And so you can stop by and find out more there as well. Also, our offering. When we receive our offering, I just want you guys to know, a percentage of everything we bring in goes to our missions fund, and some of that missions fund goes to supporting everything you heard about today. And so when we give out of trust and dependence to God, percentage of that is really making a difference in the world. And so you're investing in what God's doing around the world, light shining in the darkness. So as we close out today, how, how's God going to move in you to make a difference? How are you going to reflect the light of the world in the world? And maybe for someone here today, the first step you have to take is let the light come into your life. And you need, you need Christ. He needs, to, he needs to shine into your darkness. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder that life is just not about what we think about. Life's not about our traditions and our list of to-dos and don'ts. But God, there's a huge world. And there's a lot of darkness in this world. God, thank you that you have come into the darkness. Thank you that your light shines and your light illuminates in the darkness. God, we are so grateful for that. And God, we do pray that you continue to shine in El Salvador, continue to use Love and Hope Children's Home, continue to use the funds that we give and other churches and other supporters, use every dollar to bless those kids. Thank you for the two precious kids that we see even in our own church family now because of how you stirred the hearts of people. God, thank you for that. Those kids could have been in gangs. Those kids could have, could have been down and out, never been educated. Lord, their lives have been transformed. They are truly experiencing new life in Christ. Thank you. God, we pray for the people of Mexico. We pray for the Tata Mujara. God, such darkness. Would you continue to use the Kramers and Beto and all the others to just continue to be your agents of illumination in that dark culture? Break down walls. Let there be trust. Let there be understanding. And let we see more Tata Mujara come to Christ. And God, for anyone here in this room that needs you, Lord, would you come flooding into the life? And that's you this morning. You can say, God, come into my life. Darkness is rain and I need your light. I believe in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Help me to live for you. God, we love you. We want to make a difference. Thank you that your birth, your life, your death, your resurrection has made all the difference. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together.